Hi, my name's Anthony. And I'm Carlina, and welcome to the third episode of Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling. The bamboo ceiling is a term that refers to the barriers preventing Asian Americans from becoming leaders in their workplace due to stereotypes such as they don't have the potential or social skills to be leaders. With this podcast, we will highlight Asian American leaders who have been able to push past these barriers. Today's guest is Felicia Yang, who has broken through the bamboo ceiling in the sports industry. She's the co-owner of the Astra Ultimate Frisbee team, a new professional women's ultimate team here in LA, and is also the founder of the Western Ultimate League in which the team plays. Alongside running these two projects, she is currently working as a materials engineer at Boeing. Thank you so much for coming, Felicia. We are so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's so cool that you all are putting together this podcast so we can talk about these important issues. Thank you so much. So I guess the first question is, uh, Felicia, we would love to know more about your background, such as like your cultural background, your pre-med journey, and how you ended up at Boeing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I started off pre-med like a lot of students do and was really determined to go through all of that. I um, got to the point of even taking my MCAT. I did all of the research, all of the volunteering, extracurriculars that were a part of being pre-med and then realized one year that I didn't actually, well, I sat down to do my application, um, was, was thinking through the question of why do you want to go to medical school? And I was like, oh man, I don't, I really don't. <laughs> so three years into it, I, I didn't really change paths. I went into a biochem degree. That's what I was gonna do anyway and was focusing on getting a job at that point in the industry and was able to find something in aerospace um, and, and just moved into industry there. And that, that was already a little bit of a pivot from what I expected, but was able to use my background in chemistry to learn more about materials, to get a job there, eventually get a master's in materials engineering. Um, And and here I am eight years later. So I would love to know more about how you got into the ultimate strategy space and your work within it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, ultimate Frisbee was a, a getaway, an escape for me during college. That's when I started playing and I hadn't really ever played sports before that. So it was, it was a fun new thing. I was not very good at it in school, but it was fun to get away and have some time at practice where I wasn't thinking about all of the other things I was doing for school and for extracurriculars. So I started playing there. Um, again, was not really dedicated to it until after college where I started playing a lot more um, at all different competition levels, started putting together teams, and then got to the point where I was coaching the pro men's team in LA and realized there's not the same opportunity for women and there's really no reason for that. So I founded Astra, the LA Women's Professional Ultimate Frisbee team, which hopefully we'll be playing later this year when COVID clears up a bit. Um, And we're playing as a part of the Western Ultimate League, which I also started. We have seven teams in the league and we'll all be playing against each other, putting on high level games for people to come watch women play Ultimate Frisbee. Wow, that's great. So how do you combine your background and your passion uh, with the Ultimate Frisbee team? Yeah, um, a lot of it is understanding the power, understanding that, well, first of all, I, I never really realized there was a gender disparity until I started working. Throughout school, it's always, you know, it, it's always your grade. It's If you set the curve, then you're the top of the class. You know, you're, you get grades based on how well you do, and it's very much a meritocracy. And 
at work, I, I started to see the difference in how I was treated for various reasons and kind of the different expectations people have of women in the workplace. Um, and people who are not just men to have the opportunity to play professional ultimate, to be seen as athletes, to be highlighted in videos um, and to be celebrated for their accomplishments was a huge piece that I thought was missing. And culturally, there's kind of the impression that Asians are not as athletic for whatever reason, right? We're not as well represented in American sports. We tend to be smaller in stature, but the, the idea that Asian Americans can't compete in sports really needs to be debunked because that's, it's just not the case. And I think a lot of it is we don't put the time and effort into it that some of our peers might. Um, in terms of the cultural issue there, not all of that is external, right? There's that impression of what Asian athletes can be, but also we, we tell ourselves similarly limiting things. Culturally, we're told that it's not worth spending the time on that. We could be studying, we could be playing piano, we could be doing math problems, but there are so many benefits in sports that we're overlooking when we're not participating in them. All of the ideas around teamwork and discipline and resilience and learning what your body can do, all of these things are really, really valuable skills that you learn from playing sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Well, I didn't really have a lot of opportunities to play sports growing up. None of my friends played sports and I was mostly doing like piano and nothing, uh, nothing related to sports at all. And we were curious uh, how it was initially building out the team, you know, gathering the community together and building up the initial framework to launch off all your different projects. Yeah. Um, the, the pro scene has been really interesting and ultimate because historically club is the highest level and that is all play, paid for out of the players pockets. So a season with travel, with gear, with all of that costs upwards of $2,000 per player. Um, one of the, the cool things about the professional opportunity is that players are not paying for any of their expenses. So that's, that's a huge change in something that will hopefully allow more people to be able to participate, but also it's a change in the structure that has already existed. So fortunately the LA community was really, really excited about this and really wanted to see what we could build. Um, in 2019, we had a showcase series before we officially became Astra and became part of the league. And we hosted only two games in LA and each of them had around 500 people come out. So there's been a lot of excitement around that. One of the other really cool things is in club, there are a variety of different teams available. There's the women's division, mixed division, and some of our players from LA go and commute and play for other teams. One of the, the coolest things I think about Astra is all of the best women in LA are playing in one, on one team together. So seeing all of that talent together and seeing us really unite as that community is something I'm really excited about. Yeah, definitely. So do you kind of believe that there will be like an increase in Asian American representation in the sports industry, like going forward? I hope so. I mean, I think, I think increasing these opportunities for everyone is really important. And part of the, what's interesting is Asians sometimes get clumped in with white people as the model minority. And that's, it doesn't really do justice to us as a separate group and also is problematic because it aligns the top of the hierarchy with whiteness and in understanding that our culture and our, our different identity shouldn't be based on, uh, on proximity 
to white power is is really important. And so sports is one place where that can be a huge vehicle for communicating that that kind of idea. Like you see right now it's still it's still a novelty to have really highly celebrated Asian athletes. And I, I do think and hope that that'll change just like it'll change for women in sports. Increasingly, we're seeing women in sports celebrated in ways that have never happened before. And, and I'm hoping that trend continues. So I had the opportunity to chat with Dr. Cole and who's the coach for the women's ultimate team here at UCLA. And he told me about this issue that he saw was that uh, Asian American women were pigeonholed into this role of like a squirrely handler. And that, you know, even though uh, I guess they might not have the best traits for it, uh, I guess that a lot of um, teams kind of pigeonhole them into uh, being a squirrely hander. So can you um, expand more on uh, uh, this position and why uh, Asian American women could get pigeonholed into this? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, the first thing I think about is how that expands into society itself and how Asian people are often pigeon pigeonholed into being good at math, being good at STEM, being like quiet and reserved and having these expectations set on us, despite the fact that we're all individuals and are all very different and don't all fit that mold is, is really important to, to break down. Um, in terms of ultimate, a lot of the question is about size and agility. And in the assumption is the smaller person should be more agile, but the game ultimate is so much about understanding the field space and like I'm 5'2", I am not tall, but I'm definitely not a handler. It requires a lot of throwing skill. That's not my strength. And I think I think I am most or best used upfield as a cutter. And I do understand that a taller defender is going to have advantages that I'm not, but upfield understanding the space there, understanding the timing helps me get open and be an effective offensive cutter. Um, in a way that I wouldn't be able to do as well as a handler. And so, so just like we shouldn't pigeonhole people based on their race or identity or size in sports, not doing that in society is an important next step. And it's hard because sometimes it's not conscious, but, but it ends up happening and being aware of when that happens and challenging those stereotypes, whether they're good or bad or good or bad stereotypes is really important. Mm -hmm. So what we chatted earlier, you brought up this really interesting topic, scarcity and how the Asian culture promotes competition. So could you please expand more on the concept of scarcity within the Asian household and your experiences with it? Absolutely. And that, that's something that I think, if nothing else, is important to name and to understand where that comes from. And so far, what I think is that with, with immigrant parents, a lot of the, the idea what they want for their kids is to be safe and to be secure and to be conservative um, and not, not take big risks. And with all of the respect toward immigrants who are hustling and who are working to create a living and to immigrate to America, like that's a huge, huge accomplishment. Um, but the flip side of that is that scarcity mindset that there's never enough, right? You always have to hoard knowledge or resources or money um, that only one person can be the best. If you're not the best, then you've lost or that it's a zero sum game. And that's just not the case. And I understand that that's, that's the cause of a, a generational gap, especially between immigrant parents and kids who are born in the US. Um, but recognizing that issue and being able to see how that's impacting our mindset um, can, can really help change the way we see the world. 
And so getting to the point where you can see that there's plenty there, like you being second is not bad. You being 15th is not bad, right? There, there's always something else that's going to come along. There's always something else you can be good at that you can spend your time on that's worthwhile. That's going to be beneficial. And, and the other thing that's huge for me is elevating everyone around you. Part of the the worst thing I think about the scarcity mindset is when you try to put other people down so that you feel relatively better. And I, I don't think anyone really feels good when that happens, right? You don't really feel like you won or it's it's very satisfying. And so getting past that and understanding that you helping someone else out, you being able to, to lift someone up means they'll be able to help you also and being open to that help um, and, and accepting that from other people is just gonna make all of us better. So, so getting to the point where we're all collaborative, we're all lifting each other up in a way that doesn't feel threatening to us, um, it can make a really, really big difference. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for that. And kind of like relating back to growing up in an Asian household, you mentioned a few things about how your body image was negatively viewed in your household. And could you kind of like elaborate on this and explain how you were able to relate it back to your ultimate Frisbee career? Sure, yeah. Um, and this is an interesting one because it's one of those situations where the difference in culture has an unintended impact, right? It's it's a cultural difference in what people are allowed to say about your body, what's okay to comment on. And especially my extended family that's still in Asia, um, I, I remember there's every time I see them, there's a comment on whether I gained or lost weight on how thick and muscular my legs are, how dark I am, how tan I am. Um, Am I eating too much? Am I not eating enough? And over time, you know, like at the moment, it doesn't real, it doesn't feel like a big deal. But over time, it's like, is there something wrong with me? Why, why do they have to say something every time? Um, at one point too, I remember going into a shop in Taiwan, and immediately the woman working there is like, "We don't have your size. You're too big. You should leave." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, um, I didn't think that that was a, a thing, but okay." Um, and just not, you don't really know what to do with that. And so one of the other benefits, huge benefits of being in sports is seeing what your body can do. When you're being disciplined in training and seeing these changes in your body, feeling yourself get stronger and faster, then you're like, yeah, these muscles are useful. Like I need these, I like these. And it's something that I want to be defined by and isn't something that, like you kind of take the power back in a way. You don't let other people who say these random passing comments that are not insidious, right? They're not meant to be hurtful, but but you you make more meaning of them when you know what your body can do. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. And our previous guest, Kathy Otomo, leveraged a lot of mentorship opportunities to break through her barriers at, at Fox. Did you have any mentorship experiences at Boeing? Yeah, and this is one of the things that I think has honestly kept me there for so long. Um, I've been working with this mentor directly for about four years now. And so there's the technical benefit of learning everything he knows, which is really helpful, obviously, to, to be a better engineer, to gain more technical knowledge, um, and to be better at my job. But the other thing that he's really good at as a very well-respected, older-than-me white man, is he helps to elevate my voice. So if you're able to find an ally like that, like we'll be in a meeting room, I'll say something, someone will ignore me. He'll be like, hey, Felicia had this idea or I'll, I'll be leading a project or I'll be leading a presentation. And so they know, they know he's well-regarded. So they'll ask him a question directly. And he's like, it's Felicia's project. Like, 
here, listen to her. And so having an ally like that, having a mentor who not only knows and believes in your capability, but is willing to communicate that with other people goes a really, really long way. And that's another one of those things that can be cultural where we, or I at least grew up with the idea that as long as I'm really good at what I'm doing, as long as I am the best at it, have merit at it, people are gonna notice and people are going to give me credit for it. And in the workplace, that's just not true. Like you have to learn to stand up for yourself and just being technically good isn't good enough. You have to communicate that to people and you have to uh, build credibility. And as a small Asian woman, I don't get a lot of that, you know, the moment I walk into a room, I have to earn that and that's fine. But understanding that that's a key component along with being technically knowledgeable um, is something we have to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. So kind of for our last question, we want to ask you, what advice do you have for us young Asian American college students to break the bamboo ceiling? It's a great question. And, and I love the, the bamboo ceiling moniker. Um, uh, the, the biggest piece of advice I'd give is knowing that you belong in the room, knowing that you deserve to be there, having the confidence in your abilities and learning to advocate for yourself. And I think all of this really boils down, if I were to say one thing, all of this boils down into getting into that abundance mindset. I know it's difficult and I know it's not like a flip of the switch thing, but being conscious of every time you're limiting yourself and changing, changing that internal dialogue, changing that into how there's plenty out there, how like you're willing all of those great resources, all of that knowledge, all of the opportunity that's out there in the world, you're willing that to be a part of your life rather than sitting and waiting for something to happen to you. Wow, thank you so much for all your advice, Felicia. I hope our listeners are able to learn from the tips you gave us and we appreciate you so much for coming to our episode of Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm hoping to see you all out at some Astro Games soon.